listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. Hey, this is Scott Love, and thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. This show focuses on business development for those people that are in the business of getting business. Most of the interviews we have here apply to all industries, especially professional services, especially to law firms. If you're not in the legal industry, then this particular episode with my guest today might not be as useful to you because our topic is looking at trends and the trouble ahead for big law. Today, our guest is Laura Leppard, and we're talking about data. Now, I'm a data junkie. I love it. I stay up late at night reading spreadsheets about law firm data because it tells me what the future is going to be like. And Laura Leopard owns a company called Leopard Solutions, which measures law firm data. That's important in terms of diversity, client development, and recruiting. And today we're talking about certain trends that she's seen that could show that there could be some problems ahead for big law if changes aren't made. Now, make sure that you go to the show notes and check out some of the links that we have there because she and I talk about survey links. So that's what I'm talking about. Check out the show notes. And like I said, if you're not in the legal industry, this particular episode might not be as useful to you unless you're someone that really enjoys learning about data. If it is, continue listening. Now, Laura is a sponsor of the Rainmaking Podcast. She's actually a strategic alliance partner of my own company where we've worked together on projects for several years. And this show... The Rainmaking Podcast is sponsored by Leopard Solutions and its suite of products, Firmscape and Leopard Business Intelligence. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. Thanks for listening, and here's my interview with Laura Leopard. Hey, this is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. Today, we've got a special guest, a close friend of mine, Laura Leopard. I've known Laura for years, and today we're talking about trouble ahead for big law. <laughs> Laura, thanks for joining me on the show today. Oh, thank you, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. And I and I know it's not that bad. Things aren't going to get that bad, but you're in the data business and you can help law firms avoid those trouble spots on trends that we see are coming ahead in the future. And so for those people that aren't familiar with your offering, tell us a little bit about what Leopard Solutions is and the data solutions you provide. And then we'll kind of dig into that and some of the the trouble spots that you see that law firms can avoid in the future. Okay, great. Well, we have been around for almost 20 years, and we started as a simple list service where we made lists of attorneys that were working in New York, and then D.C., and then California. And it was primarily a product that was produced for recruiters. And over the years, we have grown in the amount of law firms that we cover, areas that we cover. Now we're, we span the globe with our databases, really trying to tell the story of every attorney that's in our system. Right. Uh, we then were able to spin all of that attorney data up into a competitive intelligence program called Firmscape. And then we created a new product last year, our business intelligence suite that uses AI and uses other systems to help to help law firms make better business decisions. So we are now, we consider ourselves now to be more of an intelligence service than a simple list service. So much right. has changed in that 20 years. And what's interesting with the history that you have and the detail of the data that you've been measuring 
you can actually come up with some predictive tools about what the future says is going to happen. Is that correct? That is correct. We are able to use our past data in order to to imagine what could happen if a law firm made some specific moves, if it merged or acquired a particular firm. We can tell them how well we think that merger or acquisition is going to go, how much the attrition might be, where problem spots might be in that acquisition process. And we're using AI to do that. We also use AI to give estimated financial values for firms that are under the top 200 that don't typically report that kind of information. We're using it in different parts throughout the product. But yes, we are able to rest on all of our past data and use that as a pattern to help predict what we think might happen in the future. And I think those tools, they've been very specific that I've seen firsthand the success from that. And I'm a big fan of what you have. And so let's kind of dig into some of these trends. I know you talked about there's data and trends that you see, especially in the area of retaining women and diverse attorneys uh, in law firms. And, And tell me a little bit about some of the statistics related to COVID. I think that was a big inflection point in the life cycle of law firms as they grew But what were some surprising revelations that you saw as a result, or not necessarily as a result, but uh, coincidentally during the time of COVID? Well, when we did our roundup, our year-end roundup for 2021, we saw some data that really made us want to dig a little bit deeper. We saw that on average, there were more women that had left top 200 firms than men, even though, of course, men outnumber, far outnumber women uh, in the firms. And that made us really question. Everyone's knee-jerk reaction was, oh, it's due to COVID, it's due to COVID. Right. And I thought, is it really? Is that is that why? We also compared women versus ethnically diverse attorneys when they had left a top 200 firm. There was a larger number of them that returned to a top 200 firm. Mm-hmm. The same was not true for those women. So we under we had a data project. We said, let's go find them. Let's go find them as many as possible. And as we looked at it on a record by record basis, yes, many of them had did not return to a top 200 firm. Some of them had just sort of fallen away. They, they weren't on social media anywhere. There was no updated information. Some had joined smaller firms. Some had went into academia. They just had a different path. Mm-hmm. So it really made me wonder what was going on, why they left the top 200 and made the decisions that they did. So we undertook a survey. And we are doing a survey right now for women who have left big law to see why they would return, why they left, to find out all of that that great information. And to our surprise, it was not what we initially had that knee-jerk reaction. It wasn't COVID, really wasn't COVID. It was working in big law, posed a lot of impediments to women. And they decided that they could no longer work in big law. Why do you think Uh, that is? What specifically about that do you think was the issue? Well, sadly, absolutely none of it is a surprise because they are the same things that have plagued women in law firms for years, right? They're not heard as an attorney. They're in a meeting. They make a suggestion. Two minutes later, a male colleague will reword it and say the same thing and take credit for that thought, and no one notices. We have 
a lack of opportunity. They aren't given the same opportunities uh, that men are given at law firms, even in departments that are run by women. They feel that there is a lack of opportunity that are given to the women on that team. Uh, they have experienced sexual harassment at the firms. They have tried to report in normal ma- in you know sexual discrimination or gender discrimination and lost their job over it. It's all the stuff that we've all known for so long, but I guess we didn't think it was as alive and well as it is in the firms today. Mm. There's a lack of promotion fairness, and there's a severe lack of mentorship. And that really rings a big bell because that was the same issue that those ethnically diverse attorneys had when they left big law too. They just felt that they were not given the helping hand that they needed to succeed at the firm. They really needed mentorship and they didn't receive it. I hear now women saying exactly the same thing. That lack of a mentor really hurt them in trying to succeed at that law firm. And I I think, too, there's, you know, in any sort of male dominated culture, there is that lack of inclusion. You know, all the guys go out to lunch and all the women are left working at their desk. (laughs) That really happens. That really happens. And the same happens, of course, for those diverse, ethnically diverse attorneys, too. They feel that lack of inclusion around not just being included on specific deals and cases that the firm is working on, but as a part of the whole of the firm. So, you know, the wage gaps are real. The promotion gap is real. Leadership opportunities are lacking for women. And then one thing that we hear, I hear in a lot of the responses, and I find this very interesting, is the uh, billable hour, that the billable hour really put the nail in the coffin for them. And it became a a hurdle that they just could not overcome. Why is that? What do you mean by that? Why would that have put the nail in the coffin? the, The demand for billing incredible hours was simply too much for people who were, and and they're asked to do a lot of things at a firm. You're you're not just working on a case or for a client. You also have to get new business. So you have to be a salesperson. And if you're a woman and you have children at home, most likely you have responsibilities there too that most of your male colleagues don't have. So there were a number of responses from women that said, you know, the billable hour must go away. I have a lot to give to my firm. I have a lot to give to my clients. But that unreachable, you know, billable hour that the firm requires is virtually impossible for me, for me to accomplish. So that, that was a really big one. Now, the other thing that we noticed in our end of the year survey, and it was something that was kind of shocking, was how the road to partnership has increased over time. So I'll have to go look up the chart, but it increased something like 144% from, you know, over 10 years ago. So the time that it takes someone to make partner has truly increased dramatically, right? You have to have, and, and this is what you have to have as a successful top 200 law firm today. You have to get attorneys coming in your door from law school or laterally, but those people that buy into the dream that they're going to make partner at your firm. 
So every year you put that goal a little farther away because you just keep moving that goalpost. And by this, at the same time, you're required to work an incredible number of hours. And here is one response we had on the survey. And it said, you know, here was my sort of eureka moment. I realized all the work that I was putting in as an associate, all the incredible number of hours I was being forced to do in order to make that goal, that partner goal. If I made partner, things wouldn't be any better. Things would actually be worse. So why would I want it? So you have women saying, why would I want it? You also have a new group that law firms should pay attention to. And those are, you know, millennials and beyond that now, thanks to the pandemic, thanks to the pandemic are saying, I like being home. I like seeing, I like seeing my child. I don't like going to work before she goes to school. And I don't like coming home after she's gone to bed. That doesn't work for me anymore. So you have people questioning that old law firm partner track and saying, boy, that's not a life I want to live. And that, that spells trouble to the way that law firms have traditionally been structured. We have seen a couple of firms in the top, in the top 200 come back and say, we're going to lower, we're going to make it a little bit easier for people to make partner at our firm now. They're ahead of the curve. And I hope that other people recognize that they're raising that, that limit. They're pushing that goal to their own detriment year after year. As people begin what do I win? If I win this prize, what do I win? And we've seen with my colleagues that recruit associates, because I do partners, as you know, they're doing associates. We've seen that some associates have actually questioned, is this really what I want? And some firms have come up with alternative paths. Here's a non-partnership track, but you can still be with our highly credentialed firm, do good work, and not have the billing requirements. And then it's even caused some associates when they have those opportunities put in front of them, well, the comp's going to be the same, but you're going to work less hours, or you're going to get a big raise and continue doing even more hours. Some people, they actually told us, I want more work-life balance, and I don't care about the money. But then several of them ended up taking those opportunities without the life balance and more money, and uh, which I thought was interesting. And, and I bet that's probably a two-year goal that they have. They just want to do that for two years, pay off law school, and then capitalize on quality of life issues. But I think the key theme that we've seen is that this has been an inflection point of change. It's been a place where people are making changes about what's important to them. And law firms are even making changes, or at least some of them that are pretty progressive are about how they give opportunities to their people. What what are some other surprising elements of your research that you've done in these areas, Law? What are some other talking points that you have on this? Well, when I started to do some of the research, you know, there were articles that I read that were written before the pandemic, right? And it would say things like, you know, work-life balance, uh, being able to get flex time and work from home. And before COVID, that was an impossibility, right? Like no, no law firm would say, yeah, sure, can work from home. No, that was an impossibility. So COVID made that possible. And it happened pretty quickly. And it sort of pushed them where they needed to go 
you know, in a very short time frame. Right. But now you have some law firms going back and saying, nope, we want everyone back in the office. Nope, we want this. No, we want that. Well, they're going to lose a lot of good people if they do yeah. that. Yeah. And it's going to be a lot more hardship on the people that they want to hold on to, which are those, those attorneys that are ethnically diverse, those attorneys that are women. They share some of the same issues, you know, from talks and, and research that we've done there. So firms have a choice you know, at this point, the way I see it. It's just like paying lip service to hiring ethnically diverse attorneys and changing that percentage, right, within your firm. You just can't pay lip service to women anymore either. Either you are serious about hiring and retaining women. So right now they're serious about hiring because they're hiring a lot of women right out of law school. They're not hiring as many women laterals, but they're hiring more, you know, women right out of law school. So, okay, that's on the right path. Now we have to work on retention. If you want to keep women, women who do an excellent job, but they may not be able to put in 70 hours a week, will you make accommodations for that? And as far as taking them off the partner track to do that, I bet there are many women who would be very happy with with that resolution. But it should be something that they consider before they find themselves in a quandary. And we actually, you know, we know there's a great disparity in partnership now between women and men. And that disparity could grow even wider over time instead of Better. And what is, what are the general stats? Things can change if they really if they really have to because they did for COVID. They need to for women as well. And, and what is it usually at the associate level? Is it usually 50-50 male female in the top two hundred firms? And then what's that percentage at the partner level? I think for associates, it is. It's neck and neck. It's it's almost uh, 50-50 right now. And uh, to the best of my recollection, I think it's about. 27 percent or something yeah. like that partner level which i think yeah. is better than a probably 10 it's years better. Ago when it was 15 yeah. i think it's 15 16 something like that but but that's still a pretty big delta so let me ask you this then have you through your research gone in to look at those firms that have good statistics in this regard to see what they've done differently have you spent any time kind of looking at that well, we're we're sort of in the process of doing some of that now. However, I will share with you one of the responses says, I'm at a firm that supposedly is, you know, great for women, not so great. Mm-hmm. So but that could also could be some sort of you know personal perception. I think where we we should look at these individual firms too is a promotion rate. Right. I mean, it's it's uh, one of the things that you know has been said in other studies is. Firms promote, you know, women and men differently. They promote men on their potential and they promote women on their performance. So there's still a lot of leveling of the playing field that needs to be done. And we're going to be presenting at uh, the ARC group and it's called the uh, Women in Legal Summit. And it's in Chicago, May 25th and 26th. And we're going to present there all of our findings. We're also doing interviews with women who've left big law. We're going to have a lot of uh, what they have to say there. Then afterwards, we're going to produce a white paper and we're going to have a, a webinar at Leopard about this topic. What we're looking for is not just what's wrong. We're also looking for how to fix what's wrong. 
what right. what we think would help the situation. But more than anything, it's also when we talk about ethnic diversity too, you have to have the will to do it. You have to have the will to do it because it means it might be, it, it, it means you're going to have to do something different because what you've been doing up to now hasn't been working. So you have to do something different, but you have to be committed to doing something different and make what you do meaningful. You know, we've heard enough about the lip service and what you're trying to do. These things can be accomplished, but you'll have to do some compromising on your end in order to, to get it to work. If this is an important agenda for you, you can do it. You can make it happen. You just have to have the will to do it. And do you think there's any reason why law firms can say, Laura, we hear exactly what you said. We know there's going to be trouble ahead in the future with declining female attorneys and diverse attorneys in our firm, but we just don't care. Nobody's holding us accountable. All we care about is profits per partner. What do you think about firms like that? Is there any sort of external pressure that they're feeling just besides hopefully the ache in their heart about having a moral compass pointed in the wrong direction? But is there anything, any sort of outside variable that's uh, putting pressure on firms right now? Well, I don't know that they're feeling the pressure right now. We've had, we've heard from corporations saying, oh, we want you to have this. We want you to have that. Right. You know, and we, we have like uh, Diversity Lab has the Mansfield Rural mm-hmm, Project. Mm-hmm. We have companies say, we want you to be a member of that. We won't do business with you. But it's not enough. There's not enough people holding, you know, their feet to the fire. But here's what's going to happen. <laughs> They may be okay today, but they may not be okay five years from now or 10 years from now when the model that they have constructed over the last 100 years or 50 years is no longer serving them. When people no longer are committing to make that partnership role and putting in 70 hours a week to get that brass ring, if they decide they don't want it anymore or it's not worth it, then that law firm will be in trouble. Right. And when other law firms begin to change and they begin to have better work-life balance and no one has to flee big law to a a company to get that work-life balance anymore, then those firms that don't change will be in trouble. So thinking ahead, you can't just think about today. We know here we are, here we are today, but we also have to think about what's going to happen tomorrow and not just, you know, Friday, but years from now, because their whole model is built on a particular work ethic that may no longer be around in 10 years. That's right. And could be in trouble in five. You've got a whole new group of, of young folks going to be entering law that have a completely different mindset, not only about what they want out of life, but how much they're willing to work. And what they think is right and what they think is wrong. And they have no they have no qualms about telling you about it either. So as the world changes, those law firms are going to change too, or those law firms will go the way of the dinosaur. Well, Laura, I think you're doing great work with these surveys on very important issues. I appreciate you being on the show. And the one thing, for those of you that aren't familiar with Leopard Solutions, and this is something I've even told your sales teams in my conversations with them is that when you look at all the big issues in law firms today, rainmaking and client development, recruiting, and diversity initiatives, you're at the epicenter of all that, who you're measuring of your data. Did you ever conceive that your company would grow to what it is today when you first started it 20 years ago? 
<laughs> well, probably not when we first started it, but as we began to understand exactly what we had and what our data could do, then I began to see a different path. And it was a much more interesting one, right? Than just collecting, you know, attorney data city by city or this or that. So working with our data in different ways thinking about it and the possibilities of that data has really changed how we work at Leopard. We just came out with three different sets of connection tools and they're absolutely mind-blowing. They can be for business development. They can be for recruitment. We had to take everything that we knew and throw it out the window and start from scratch in order mm. to get this work the way that we needed it to work. So we, we learn every day about the possibilities of our data. We learn every day of new things we need to think about, new ways to categorize it, new ways to use it. So that has been a wonderful journey, a wonderful creative journey for our product development team. And it's just going to continue. There's no end to what data can tell you. The question is, you know, will people listen to it? Will people right. read data and take the lessons there that the data can offer? Well, I like how you can take this flashlight that you have and show them what's coming down the road. You can say, look at all these potholes you need to avoid. You got to do something now before you get there. And let me ask you this final question, Laura, some of the surveys and things that you've mentioned on this particular topic, I'd like to put those on the show notes. Is there anything that you think of that we could put on there so that people listening, they can go to the show notes and kind of get some of these, these items to look at? Sure. And I'll also give you a, a link to the survey. If you know any woman that has left a uh, big law, we would love to hear from them. We, you know, ARC is sending out uh, emails about the survey. We have some of our business partners sending that out. But yes, we will share some of that intel with you. It's not really ready for prime time yet, but we are we are busy compiling it. But there are some things, I think, some sound bites I can give you that law firms should hear. That's great. And so to our listeners, make sure you check out the show notes so you can get that. And one other final talking point is that Leopard Solutions is a sponsor of the Rainmaking Podcast. And I'm proud of that. And I'm proud of our alliance and our friendship. Thank you so much for that, Laura. And thank you for being here today. And I know we'll probably have you back on here later this year. Oh, thank you so much, Scott. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.